From the PSA, AASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair, and it's Jonathan Ballou's Where Will Skiing Take You? Jonathan, great to finally connect with you this summer. You've been a busy man. Thanks, George. It's great to be back. Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, we, we certainly have tried to connect. Which is kind of uh, apt for our discussion this morning, because we're going to talk about constantly challenging yourself, correct? Absolutely. Definitely an important thing to do. Learning happens through uh, overcoming challenges. So if we, if we wish to develop, we have to continually challenge ourselves. And to me, that's really important because there's no standing still. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. We don't maintain skill sets. We grow them or they start to wane. So without continuously looking for new challenges, it's not that we're not getting better. It's that we are uh, getting worse. And a few different way, reasons there. Um, one is because if we don't challenge ourselves, we become complacent, right? And in complacency, um, we get lazy and start to develop habits that uh, we didn't, um, uh, that we don't notice happening. It's that um, that thing that we see ourselves do uh, as 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 ski or snowboard instructors, where we start getting into teaching intermediates for long periods of time, and we become um, uh, uh, we sometimes become uh, less aware of our movement patterns because the skiing and riding is so easy. And then when we go to ski high performance, although we think we've been practicing or we haven't, um, we think we've been practicing, we think we we're, we're very warmed up. We go to ski and ride high performance. And what ends up happening is that left arms doing something funny or uh, your reference alignments are messed up or we're banking or inclining more than we thought we were. And it's because we can get away with it. Um, skiing or riding at those lower levels without a constant challenge we go backwards we have to continuously look for something that makes it harder for us and that doesn't have to be um, something really high performance it could be you can find those in low performance the second reason it we are going backwards if we don't constantly challenge ourselves is because others do i mean what defines good right it's it's um based on what's around us to some degree so if the industry moves forward and we don't move with it, then we have moved back relative to the industry. So Jonathan, what are some ways we can challenge ourselves to get better? Um, because we're pushing out of our comfort zones when we do that. Well, okay. Good question. Um, you know, there's a challenge to be anything. It'd be just finding something you can't do and trying to overcome it. But the stuff that I want to look at, look at today is, um, external environments that create challenge where the challenge, uh, is, is we don't have to design it. It's presented for us. There are lots of those around here. Um, uh, in the industry, there are competitive environments and there are, um, uh, uh, but those are great ones. We'll talk in two areas. We're here about competitive environments and educational environments. Competitive environments are ones where it's like a race or a challenge, but there's a lot of them that, that um, there's a few of them anyway, that are really kind of designed around our industry for snow sports instructors, where um, you go to these things and you compete against peers who are also in that professional educator side of things. So not the professional competitor side of things. And you're just trying to get as good as you can and see and measure yourself against either a time or the other people in your industry to figure where you fall. It kind of, it's like you get this, uh, it, you get, uh, it, it normalizes your understanding of where you are 
and helps you set new goals of where to go. Some avenues for that is here's an interesting one. It's called uh, technical skiing championships. They're they're getting uh, bigger and bigger in certain parts of the world. Uh, they started, I believe, in Japan, and I could be wrong on this one, but I think in the 80s. Um, and they've gotten to be this huge thing in Japan. For example, in Japan and Korea, those two um, those those two countries, technical skiing championships, which generally consist of a um, a short-term run, a long-term run, some sort of variation run, and then at least in Japan, a bump run, um, are bigger than um, than World Cup disciplines. Really? Absolutely. There's more money in it. There's more. Uh, um, uh, there's there's more prestige in it. Um, I mean, these guys are coming out of the, the Korean Championships, winning thirty to fifty thousand uh, dollars. Now, I'm not suggesting that this become a, a a revenue source for most ski instructors, but just the fact that this exists, anybody can enter. You can measure yourself, and albeit it's an adjudged event. So take that with a grain of salt, but you measure yourself against some truly exceptional athletes and skiers and see where you stand. The point of that competition for me, when I enter those kinds of things or my friends, when we enter those things is not to win, it's to measure yourself and see where do I fall against this person? Not because I want to beat them. I might beat them. I might not beat them, but that's not important. Where do I fall against them so that within my group of people, I can normalize my understanding of my skiing and I can figure out what would I need to do to be better, not to win, but to be better. I don't care about winning. That's not the point. The point is to have really is just real feedback that says, this is where I am. And if I want to get better, I need to do X and then be able to return to this kind of competitive area and say, did I do better or did I do worse? You know, I know this is a little out there, but you know how much I, my background is in cycling, and it's just making me mm-hmm. think of the craze uh, in Strava. You know, you can look at little yep. segments, and and it's really making uh, people look at time and performance with their training. Absolutely. You know, this is an interesting one in um, uh, with cycling, um, and we're going to talk about another competitive venue that's more like this. Is you have two things you're looking at. Uh, no, I don't. I've used Strava a little bit, but not very much. So you can look at your time. You can look at your time against other people. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So you have two for, two versions of measurement. You're measuring yourself against where you were, and you're moving, measuring yourself against other people. If you did the same thing twice, right? So you're looking correct. at your rankings going up and down. You're also looking at your time going up and down. So those are two really valuable pieces of feedback. Am I getting better? Am I getting better compared to the field? In the technical championship, you have scored runs. So you look at your score time over time. Did my score get better? Um, Much like going to an exam. Did I get closer? The second one is you don't get this at exams. What were other people's scores? Are these people getting better than I'm getting better? Or am I getting better than them? Now, it's not about competition for me. That's about or competition with yourself, sure, but it's not about competing with the person next to you. It's about if that person is getting better, faster than I'm getting better, they might become a resource. And I want to figure out, in fact, they, they already are a resource. Just the fact that I see them getting better. Now, what are they doing? My question then is, what are they doing to get themselves better faster than I'm getting myself better? What can I learn from that so that I can increase my own learning curve? So again, the purpose of these these uh, these competitive challenges for me aren't to see if I can win or when I send my students or uh, trainees to see if they can win. It's to um, find where you are and what can you do to make yourself better. 
And let's get into that a little bit deeper. This this is making me think a lot of my friend Rick Lyons up in the Northwest Division uh, mm-hmm. preparation for team tryouts. And uh, he said that he and Jeremy Riss and a couple of the other guys would get together after the day was over and they would do some maneuvers and then they would throw out a challenge. Okay, I want you to do that without poles. Now let's try that on one ski. Now try that on one ski on the other foot. And it Mm -hmm. sounded like they really made it fun where they were challenging each other to get better. What are some ways we can do that as instructors? Well, that's, that is a, that is a, a way of doing that, getting together with a group of people and coming up with something that, um, that you don't think you can do and figuring out how to do it. Um, it's, uh, um, I ran a clinic a few years ago called um, Skill Development Through Unusual Task Combinations. Um, that was, uh, um, I think the, the tagline on it was, uh, it had something to do with being, um, um, you'll, you'll test your skills in truly uncomfortable ways. <laughs> the idea was to put things together that just didn't seem like they should work and seeing if the, if you could fit as a, as a, as a performer, if you could figure it out, um, that becomes, that means that the, the, the results in that situation are binary. You couldn't do it, and then you could do it, as opposed to straight refinement, which is a little harder to find out. If you could do it, then we'd move on and say, okay, we've, we've got enough diversity, enough um, development there to do this task. We're not going to try to make this task perfect. The point was to try to get it done, not to get it done perfectly. So that's kind of a fun challenge because it, it's, it's, it's like racing, right? Either you made the time or you didn't make the time. Correct. Either you did the task, you didn't do the task. It's not about doing it perfectly. Um, so that kind of throwing constant challenges that aren't about perfection, but about, I wonder if I can do that. As long as we do it safely is, um, uh, um, is, a, is an excellent challenge. Like trying to do a double backflip for me would not be a good option. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a really good way to build some camaraderie too. Oh, it's hilarious when you get the, when, when, when you get a whole group of people trying to do something and absolutely nobody can do it, it, it certainly <laughs> takes the, uh, the ego, including myself. A lot of those, those times where I'm leading those, those, uh, those clinics, I'll, I'll make the statement when I make something up saying, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure I can't do this, but I think within half an hour, I'll figure it out. Um, sometimes I'm right on that. Sometimes I'm wrong. I'm generally right that, yeah, I can't do it. Sometimes they can figure it out. Sometimes I can't, but when everybody in the group can't quite do it, but you can see the light at the end of the tunnel where it's possible. It creates some fantastic camaraderie and everybody gets better without ego. Now, what are some other examples of, of challenging yourself constantly? Well, good point. We were talking about, and specifically as we started, we were talking about external environments for challenging as opposed to finding something internal to challenge yourself with something that really provides true normative feedback, like a technical competition where you're looking at, um, and where are you compared to a standard and where are you compared to your, um, your peers in your profession? Another one, this is really big in Europe and it's getting big in some other areas too, is so, um, uh, ISIA, International Ski Instructors Association, is, um, uh, the, uh, for all, uh, intents and purposes is the, is the, is the, uh, the keeper of the international standard for ski and snowboard instruction as level threes in this country, people who are level threes can apply to get an ISI stamp, which gives them um, discounts in Europe and gives them equivalency. If they say went to Canada, right. Or into New Zealand when I was a ski school director, 
when somebody comes to um, our ski school director of operations, when somebody comes to um, uh, uh, Aspen Snowmass and they present their ski instructor license or certifications, we look for that ISIA equivalence to figure out where to pay them. Um, at the next level up, the card level, ISI card level, which uh, we don't currently offer in the U.S., but we're exploring. Um, you can get them in certain countries, like you can get them in New Zealand, you can get them in uh, in 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 Basie, um, uh, Switzerland, and a whole bunch of other places, Argentina. Uh, there is a, a a pretty as a standardized, um, reasonably difficult race that's put in there. It's not impossible, just at a at a, at a good level. And the idea is that race component has a standardized skill set. Um, I can't remember the fist pointing that it's put at, but where uh, instructors race against um, uh, a calibrated time, calibrated off two athletes that have a set number of fist points. It's in the 50th range. Uh, the two athletes run before and after the race to calibrate a time and create um, uh, a time that men have to beat and a time that women have to beat. Uh, I think the men have to come within 12.5% uh, and the women have to come within 17.5%. Don't that it's somewhere in that range. Uh, anyway, um, it's a lot like running NASCAR in that sense. You get in the course and you try to beat a time that was calibrated in the beginning of the season. And then at that day, based on a pace setter. So very similar to that, instead of being on a, a NASCAR course, though, it's on a uh, fifth homologated GS course. So you're in a suit. Most people are, the people who are successful anyway. You're on a full GS ski and you're on a drop card, injected, turny, um, course designed for fifth athletes and it's a really cool thing incredibly frustrating but a really <laughs> really a really cool thing to put yourself in an environment that is um one you have to train for it right unless you have a ton of volume as uh, as, as an athlete in life like as a, as a gs athlete in life you're gonna have to spend some time training for that and it doesn't have a really high pass rate but it is one of the things that's fairly cool about it is that it's, it is not judged in any way. Unlike most things we do in ski instruction, this sucker is not judged. You don't have an examiner standing there. If you don't pass it, you don't, you can't, if I don't pass the thing, I can't blame the examiner. I can't blame the pace setter. I can't blame the pace setter for skiing the way they ski. All I can do <laughs> is say, I have to train myself. So I can look at the the uh, the video. I can look at a video from with with a coach. I can run some practice courses with a coach and find out really specifically what I need to go faster, what I need to do to go faster. It's a it's an empirical environment that we don't regularly get in ski instruction training, and it puts value to everything else we do. We find that the things we're trying to learn how to do in the bumps, the things we're trying to learn how to do in short turns um, or in long turns, they all become relevant because there's a time associated with those mechanics. And as I watch people go through that, lots of friends going through those systems in New Zealand, and as I watch them get closer to passing over years sometimes to when they do pass, their level of skiing is consistently going up because of that empirical measure that they have to get to. So, George, we've talked about two environments we can insert ourselves in to get real feedback um, on, on where we are, both empirically based on uh, the, the scoring system and where we, or time, where we are over time and where we are relative to the rest of our field, um, to, to gain feedback to create a challenge, right? Uh, we've got the, the technical competitions. We've got um, 
uh, speed testing. Uh, those aren't always the easiest things to find in, in where where we live in the U.S. If you're if you're if you're in Japan, New Zealand, Australia, uh, 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 China, um, uh, Korea, those technical competitions are 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 not hard to find. If you're in uh, in many other countries, the speed test is not hard to find, and training for it is not hard to find. Um, a little harder to find here. Uh, hopefully not for too much longer though. Um, another way we can do this is we can insert ourselves into an environment where everyone's after a very specific challenge, um, where the potential is that everybody around us is either as good or not better than us. Um, and those, there, there are, there are programs out there that, that do this for you, such as, um, camps, either race camps or technical improvement camps that are run by team members, um, companies that do this with team members from around the world, like, um, uh, 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 Tony Macri, the program called snow trainers, this one called Sitco in New Zealand. There's the rookie Academy where I work, where it's all, uh, interesting and, and, uh, national team demo team members from around the world. There's a few in Europe. There's Dave Lyons runs camps. Um, there's, uh, the Boyd brothers put together some camps at different times where you have, um, team members and people who are often aspiring team members or aspiring level threes that are there for not your typical, just educational credit. Cause there isn't educational credit. It is a, um, uh, a straight high end performance improvement situation where, um, everything about the program is designed to challenge you all the time. Um, it's about these programs are about comparing yourself to what you could be based on what's around you and the challenge the trainer puts in front of you. And within the absence of racing venues or other competitive venues, this is a way to, to enter into a external environment that just creates challenge, uh, where you walk out of it with a lot of things you can't do, but an inspiration with how to find out how to do it. And then reinserting yourself in that environment at a later time to see how, where your success levels are with what you try to do is, um, is where you start really seeing some, some positive development. So with our PSIA ASI theme of back to school in September, this seems mm-hmm. like a pretty fitting topic, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And PSIA ASI offers plenty of these, these, these opportunities, particularly going to National Academy or the various uh, regional mini academies or master's academy in the East coast. Um, the key is finding when you go to these things, finding a group of people that are after challenge as you are. Um, and the trainer, which at any of these academies, they'll all be great. Um, that's going to make sure the trainer knows that what you're after is, is a constant challenge. Something that you can't yet do. that's going to normalize your view of yourself and, and those around you to give you feedback as to where to develop to. Jonathan Ballou, thank you for taking a few minutes out of your vacation to chat with us this morning. My pleasure, George. Jonathan Ballou's Where Will Skiing Take You on First Chair from the PSIA AASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado. I'm George Thomas.